Nothing about the 2020 election has been simple. Let's switch gears now to a photo that is really freaking people out online. That's a truck being loaded up with blue post office boxes. A lot of people are concerned that it looks like boxes are being removed ahead of the November election. The U.S. Postal Service sending out an urgent warning. States bracing for a record number of mail-in voting, now confronted with a warning from the post office that millions of ballots might not be delivered in time to be counted. The U.S. election has been thrown off a well-charted course. There have been conventions without live audiences, speeches without applause, and soon, for many people, voting without the voting booths. This election will be the biggest vote by mail in U.S. history, with millions of ballots going back and forth on deadline. So what better time to cut down on mail delivery? We're 69 days out from the U.S. election, and the president is railing against mail-in voting, the head of the Postal Service is testifying before Congress, and for many people, the mail isn't coming or taking way too long. So what does that mean for voters' ballots? Today, for the first time in history, literally in history, I received no mail. I don't understand that. I'm really just concerned if I mail it, that it's gonna get lost in the system and never get there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Americans have a long relationship with their postal service. It's older than the country itself, and those blue mailboxes are a staple of life. You have the one in your neighborhood, you know exactly where it is, you've used it, you've pulled down the door, you've heard that creak, you've dropped that letter in there. So to see them just disappear, it's really disruptive, I think, especially at a time like this when we're having one crisis after another. I'm talking to Christopher Shaw a historian who's written two books on the Postal Service. So have you checked your mail today? Did it arrive at the time you thought it was going to arrive? I'll admit that the the mail has been arriving a little later these days. So I haven't checked it yet today, but I don't think it's there yet. But I am looking forward to it, as I always do, when it does arrive. People outside of the U.S. may not recognize how big of a deal it is to make sure Americans get their mail. But that's Christopher's focus. The name of his first book is Preserving the People's Post Office. So I asked him what that meant. It's the idea that it belongs to all Americans, that it exists to serve all Americans, and it exists to do this in a democratic way. If you go back to the founding of the post office, it's 1775. So this is when the revolution is underway, but you haven't yet had a declaration of of independence. Right from the start, from the very beginning, is the idea that this is the first modern democracy and we're going to have to have an informed electorate. So we want the post office to help to disseminate news and information so people will know how to vote. And this is something that's explicitly endorsed by the founders. George Washington uh, certainly believed in this. So this idea dates back to the very beginning. And voting now in 2020 this way is clearly part of that legacy. The Postal Service is written into the U.S. Constitution, and it's mandated to deliver mail to everyone. It's a universal service, and everyone pays the same postage rate. These days, it's 55 cents for a stamp. 
So this means that it doesn't matter where you live in the country, it doesn't matter who you are, you're all entitled to the same service. Just like they say in this recent U.S. Postal Service ad. We live in uncertain times. However, there is one thing you can be certain of. The men and women of the United States Postal Service. We're here to deliver cards and packages from loved ones and also deliver the peace of mind of knowing that essentials like prescriptions are on their way. Every day, all across America, we deliver for you. And we always will. The Postal Service delivers the mail to many far-flung places because it's a big country and it delivers it everywhere. Northern Alaska, you have remote villages that don't have any way to access them beyond um, the airplanes. You have islands off the coasts that are accessed by boats. Perhaps the most remote one is actually accessed by mule train, and it's uh, people live down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Are you the mailman? I'm not one of them, but I'm just bringing in pallets today. The mailman's coming behind me. Oh, okay. You're going down some very precipitous cliffs, and it's uh, six days a week. There's a mule train that carries the mail down. It's an eight-mile journey, and then an eight-mile journey back up. So we go to great lengths to make sure everyone in this country gets postal service. I mean, there really is meaning to this idea of democratic universal service here. In 2020, has the meaning of that changed at all? What does that mean this year? Well, the most important thing that it looks like the Postal Service has suddenly been drafted into doing because of our pandemic is allowing this election to go forward. And the most important thing we do as a democracy is vote. And when you see a new Postmaster General come in and start to make changes that jeopardize the possibility for this. Uh, that throws into question the whole idea of service and also is a, really potentially an attack on democracy itself if this situation is not ironed out. There are a couple of crises going on that are interlocking almost. We've got the disappearing mailboxes, the locked mailboxes. We have an unprecedented vote-by-mail election that is coming up where people are encouraged to vote early. And then we've got mail that's showing up late or not showing up at all. And we've been hearing about that all across the United States. What is causing these delays? This seems to be a manufactured crisis that the new Postmaster General has created. Essentially, the core thing he's done is he said that we couldn't have overtime. And the thing is that since the 2008 crisis, we've seen mail volume has gone down, although packages have gone up. But also there's been a big effort to reduce the number of postal employees. So the Postal Service is shorthanded. And so this means that if you take away overtime, then they just don't have the workforce to get the job done. And then on top of that, we also have COVID and we have postal workers who've been infected with this and are now self-quarantining. There's postal workers who have died from COVID. So that's another hit on the workforce on top of this manufactured Let's stop all overtime that created this problem in the first place. In the past, postal workers were told that the priority was getting mail delivered on time. So they would be paid overtime to finish the job. Now, the new directive is for employees to leave mail behind if it delays their routes. They stood in line for hours today trying to pick up their missing mail. In some cases, it's letters and packages they've been waiting for for weeks. We were having meetings with the post office about our mail, not getting mail, getting the wrong mail. 
So why is this happening? Well, in the background of this current crisis is a long-running battle over the post office's budget and its efficiency. One problem is a massively expensive pre-funded pension plan. Another is years of declining mail volume. And it pays for itself. No money from the government. But the pandemic brought that long-time financial crisis into focus. The Postal Service asked for a $25 billion bailout, and there's been a big political fight over it. The House of Representatives passed a bill granting the loan, but we don't know if it will get Senate approval, and President Donald Trump's unlikely to sign off. And then there's the new Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, who was appointed in June. Christopher mentioned earlier that DeJoy was quick to put in new policies, like cutting overtime, which the Postmaster General says will lower costs. But his resume has raised questions about his credibility for the job and his motives. I asked Christopher about that. So a lot of this centers around the current Postmaster General, who is the head of the post office. On June 15th, I became America's 75th Postmaster General. He's been making headlines recently. Since that time, there has been a great deal of attention to the Postal Service by our elected officials, the media, and the American people. What can you tell me about him? Louis DeJoy doesn't have any background in the Postal Service, which is different from the past few decades where Postmaster Generals came up through the ranks, uh, you know, have been prior employees of the Postal Service. His background is really as a Republican donor. He's given a lot of money to the Republican Party, including President Trump. And he does have a business background in logistics. But this business background seems to not translate so well to the idea, the concept of public service. And another issue is that there are potential ethics problems here because he is making money from companies that are vendors from the Postal Service. So this is something that ethics experts are concerned about and are are looking into. And we're actually, a number of them were shocked that there were not more actions taken to have him divest um, from these holdings prior to being named the Postmaster General. So what are his chops? Why was he put in this position? Well, if he doesn't have that post office, that Postmaster General background. Yeah, I mean, a logistics background can be helpful. And, but the thing is, is that this is a different logistics company. It's all about moving things and, you know, operating a vast network. But the ultimate goal is actually public service, not making the most profit for the company. So he's always talking about it as a business. And this definitely betrays a kind of lack of understanding of the postal service, what it means today, what it's meant throughout our history. And, you know, the fact is that he has been a major Republican donor, and this is certainly something that people have taken note of. People like Democratic Congressman Stephen Lynch from Massachusetts, who questioned DeJoy's allegiances during a congressional hearing on Monday. DeJoy was there to defend the decisions he's made since he became Postmaster General. Lynch put him on the spot, saying, In the middle of a pandemic that has killed 170,000 Americans, And on the eve of a national election, at a time when the CDC is advising people not to gather, limit outside contact, the Postal Service started removing 671 high-speed mail sorting machines across the country. As a fact finder, we can only reach two conclusions. One, either through gross incompetence, you have ended the 240-year history of delivering the mail reliably on time, 
or the second conclusion that we could gather is that you're doing this on purpose and that you're deliberately dismantling this once proud tradition. Your accusations are actually Will you put the will you put the high outrageous. speed machine no, back? No, I will not. You will not. Will not. You will not. Well, there you go. Protesters have also expressed concern about DeJoy's motives, and they've gathered up their signs, masks, pots, and pans. They've gone to his house in Washington, D.C. Some accuse DeJoy of acting in the interest of President Trump instead of the Postal Service he runs. The president has vehemently opposed expanding voting by mail. I don't believe the post office can be set up. They were given no notice. I mean, you're talking about millions of votes. It's, it's a catastrophe waiting to happen. Trump has made his concerns about mail-in voting explicit since the early weeks of the pandemic. He fears that more people voting will be a problem. They want $25 billion for the post office because the post office is going to have to go to town to get these great, ridiculous ballots in. You know, there's nothing wrong with getting out and voting. You get out and vote. Now, if we don't make a deal, that means they don't get the money. That means they can't have universal mail-in voting. They just can't have it. So as far as volume goes... An election is actually nothing compared to a holiday like Christmas in the United States. But there is a fear amongst U.S. voters that their vote may not be delivered in time and then may not count, depending on the rules of their state. Do you think that there's a basis to that fear? I think that the Postal Service is fully capable of making sure that ballots get to voters on time and also of returning those ballots in time. But if you're slowing down the mail deliberately... That throws that into question. And there's really no reason when you have the capability to do this to be making these kinds of changes a few months before an election. This is the worst possible time to do it. And I think that explains this groundswell of opposition that seems to be forcing a change in policy back to what we're used to and what we expect as Americans and as we should. DeJoy did back down from some of the Postal Service changes last week. Facing fierce scrutiny over mail delays, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy announcing the Postal Service is suspending operational changes until after the November election to, quote, avoid even the appearance of any impact on election mail. He said that he was suspending all of his proposed changes until after the election. But he also didn't go back on the changes he'd already made. And photos of locked mailboxes and disassembled machinery are continuing to come out. So are the protests. I think it's easy to become cynical about American democracy, but I think this groundswell of public, you know, this huge public outcry, it shows democracy working because the people made a demand, Congress heard them, and now the Postmaster General is responding. So I see that as very hopeful in terms of where this, what this means for the Postal Service in, in 2021 that's still to be determined because he's not said that he will stop doing this down the road. And there are problems that, that need to be addressed. I mean, the Postal Service has taken a large financial hit because of COVID. Lots of private corporations have received billions of federal funds, and the Postal Service has yet to receive funding. And it needs funding too. So we will see what happens with that. Have you talked to any postal service workers recently about these changes that are going on and 
I know it's not just a question of losing overtime. There's also this idea that the very ethos of the postal service is that when the mail comes in, the mail goes out, no matter what. Rain, shine, sleet, dogs, all these kinds of things that can get in the way of delivering mail. Is that still possible? Postal workers, a lot of them, they spend an entire career at the agency. They'll work there for decades, and they take a lot of pride in making sure the U.S. mail moves. And to be told, well, sorry, we're just going to have to leave this mail here, and they've seen it stacking up in their processing facilities and not getting delivered, and a lot of them are very upset about this. And it really goes against the grain of everything that they do. The challenge to the Postal Service is bigger than just the election. In many ways, it's existential. Politicians are asking if the Postal Service should even exist the way it currently does, or if it should go the way of privatization. I've always known that the post office was like a guarantee for sure, 30-year job. It's kind of shaky right now. I'm not necessarily sure that that's going to come to pass. Hopefully, but it's not a guarantee. Tanzania Chopin works for the Postal Service in New Orleans, Louisiana. Al Jazeera's digital outlet, AJ Plus, spoke to her earlier this year. I've been with the Postal Service 16 years this April. My mom worked for the Postal Service. She's a retired um, station manager, supervisor, I'm going to say. I pretty much grew up in the post office. I seen some of my mom's co-workers that now I work with some of their kids. We grew up with like a post office family. The post office was a good job. You know, you get on with the post office, it's good pay, good health benefits. You can retire, good retirement when you get to that point. So that was always embedded in my mind. Like, okay, I got on, I have a good government job, I have good benefits. You could say that Tanzania saw a lot of this coming. She was nervous about DeJoy before he was appointed can possibly be something that changes what we consider the postal service. It can change. Both Tanzania and Christopher said that reliability, both for the person delivering the mail and for the person getting it, is slipping away. In, in the United States, it's just something we take for granted, that our mail will actually get delivered to our door six days a week. And when it doesn't happen, it's a real disruption in our lives and just our expectations of what it is actually to be an American. I mean, in terms of how we engage with the federal government, this is the main way we do it, is that six days a week, a federal employee will show up at our house or our apartment or our business and deliver our mail. And especially now with COVID, a lot of people are shopping online because we want to maintain physical distance. And so this is a real lifeline for lots of people. So then fast forwarding to after the election, as you mentioned, these problems won't necessarily all just go away. So who will be most affected by the United States Postal Service continuing to lose money and perhaps not getting that injection of cash? It's often the most vulnerable Americans, people who need their medication to arrive on time, people in rural areas where broadband is less accessible, where there aren't even pharmacies or drugstores. So this is why they definitely need to have their prescriptions delivered. People who have lower incomes who need to get that bill paid in the mail in order to maintain things like health insurance because we don't have a national health system in this country. People who have paychecks that they need. Those paychecks come through the mail and they need those as well. 
lower income Americans, where again, they do not have the same access to, to broadband and, and to internet and are often more dependent on physical mail, and also older Americans who have not yet you know, made the transition to this digital world. I mean, these are the groups that are the most uh, dependent on the Postal Service, and they are the ones that are most harmed every time a decision like this is made. So it's really unfortunate to see the most vulnerable members of our society pay the price for these kinds of things. Christopher says it's not just the deliveries that impact Americans, but also actually going to the post office in the first place. In rural America, where you have small towns where literally kind of the only place there is where people might gather is the post office. You go to big cities, all kinds of places where the economy has sort of disappeared over the past few decades. And really oftentimes the only thing that's there in the commercial center that's left is the flag flying in front of the post office. So there's a real strong emotional bond that many Americans uh, feel with their, their local post office. There are all kinds of services that the post office provides that don't show up on the statement of profits. You know, they're not on the balance sheet, but they're centrally important to Americans. And that's The Take. If you want to learn more about this topic, check out Christopher Shaw's book. It's called Preserving the People's Post Office. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke and Priyanka Tilbey, with Dina Kispe, Amy Walters, Nate Alvarez, Abigail Oniwohacha, and me, Molika Bilal. Alex Roldan is the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is the Takes executive producer. And Graylin Bushir is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to Emayan Ibanga for sharing her reporting from AJ+. We'll be back 